0: Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Aparutade Desangama he is so one So this afternoon we have this occasion to reflect on the Dhamma, the way things are. Ultimate reality is here and now rather than some just abstract idea of something distant and far away. But the words ultimate reality make it always seem Far away or high up above our mortal heads and and so we, we tend to seek it as something we we don't have, and uh, something rare that that only special individuals, spiritually inclined individuals can realize. Just to reflect on the use of language, ultimate reality, absolute reality, nibbana, the ultimate attainment, these are all words. And just to reflect on the limitation of words, because these are the highest words, they're the ultimate words the best you can make up in your mind in the english language and what is aware of the word absolute reality what what is it that's aware of of that of those two words and so it's that awareness itself even when you deliberately, intentionally, wholeheartedly think absolute reality. You know, you're aware, you're thinking, you're using the the highest words you can imagine in this language. So, then ask yourself, who is it that's aware of these words? Another word that we tend to elevate in this tradition is samadhi, or concentration. So we try to get samadhi, and then there's different levels of samadhi, and samadhi is something, is a Pali word, Sanskrit word, but it is a word, and who is aware of when you're thinking the word samadhi, who's aware of that thinking process that's taking place and how we grasp the word, but we think it's something attainable, something that we don't have, or if we've had, had we've lost, like many people practicing meditation, practice tranquility types of meditation where they get very concentrated one pointed and they and then they want that again that it is such a pleasurable experience that it creates a desire to have it again so in many cases you know we, we we're operating from uh, and imagine a memory of a previous state of samadhi and then our minds can't settle down, we want to get it and we can't and we feel we're, we can't meditate or we're not prepared or we create a whole sense of uh, there's something wrong with me or the situation's too, not peaceful enough for me or whatever to justify. And last time I talked about the wall, where we hit the, the the wall that we can't get beyond. And then we lose interest in meditation. We see uh, uh, that we're not advancing the way we would like to feel we are advancing. <clears throat> And many people give up at that time because when you hit a wall when the when the magic doesn't work anymore, then we tend to you know keep feeling you know we we're not good enough or we're, or the you know I can't do it anymore, I can't get the peace and tranquillity that I had last year, and all these are words you know how you create yourself as a separate person. Is all thinking. It's words that you use to de- describe uh, what you believe you are, physically, emotionally, intellectually. So what is Samasamadhi? right concentration, like in the Eightfold Path. And then we form opinions about how you have to get samadhi, go through the various levels of samadhi, and finally reach uh, samadhi, right concentration. And right concentration, you know, two words, you know, that we tend to elevate to a very high level of personal attainment and achievement in our meditation, our personal view of meditation. So this whole sense of a separate person, I mean, we are what we're thinking we are. We believe we are what we're thinking. And uh, we think the thoughts we believe in the thoughts that we think, grasping them. And so we see ourselves always, uh, in mo- most cases of human endeavor, is to see ourselves as uh, through the negative approach or something, I'm not good enough, I have to develop something first, I have to get rid of my anger and fear and, you know, all these, because we identify with fear when we are frightened, or we strongly identify with anger when we feel angry, or with greed. When we feel greedy, we, we identify it, and up, uh, you know, usually as some, in a in, in religious tradition, as something negative. We should be free of desire, free of greed, free of anger, all the ultimate of being just full of unconditional love and respect for all sentient beings and nature itself are very beautiful ideals. But can you feel like a perfect person? You know, is that possible to ever reach a stage where as a person, the way you think, you feel you've reached ultimate reality, absolute reality. So just pointing out how the the programming that we experience through learning to speak a language and the languages are all based on on the best, you know, like Nirvana is is the highest you know, we rate that as the highest or heaven. The highest happiness is oftentimes described. It's more happy than worldly happiness, and so we we grasp these words. We all have experiences of worldly happiness, which we take very personally. And when we're not happy, then we identify with unhappiness and discontentment and fear. So in the Vipassana, world of insight, meditation, insight, knowledge, is, uh, is this investigation of what what is... What is a, are, you know, what, all conditions are impermanent. And then we investigate the conditions. Do you ever find conditions that are permanent? And then the, the faith we have in the Buddhist teaching is, well, Buddha said they're all impermanent, so I've, I believe that. But the Buddha is not asking us to believe that. It's not about we have to believe all conditions are impermanent. It's a suggestion, a way of investigating our own experience, the bodies that we identify with, the, the emotional habits we have, the, the uh, social, cultural, political, religious conditioning that we've received. These are all conditions that are impermanent. But don't believe me, it's up to you to realize this too and use this suggestion of impermanence as a guideline for investigation, so it's not about getting concentrated first. it's a, you know the four noble truths, the first noble truth is is suffering and its causes so this is quite an ordinary experience. Uh, we, as human beings, are in a realm where we suffer a lot. And suffering is, is what we don't want. We want to find e- eternal happiness or peace. You know, what we imagine that would be living in a heavenly realm, a utopia, a perfect society that we can imagine we wouldn't suffer. But suffering is just another word. And who is it, what is it that's aware of when we think suffering? Because it comes and goes, doesn't it? and if we begin to trust just this simple awareness the way it is uh, there's physical suffering physical pain that are this part of being human being these bodies are you know their conditions they were born they grow up and get old and die and they get sick and and uh, there's a lot of physical discomfort just in anyone's ordinary life. And we take this very personally, like we'd like to have a perfectly healthy body that is completely uh, free from any kind of physical discomfort or pain. So we, we meditate in order to get out of the physical world which can be quite painful. So we go into the mental state where we concentrate on objects that are peaceful. And at times that's very... we, We do experience because we're limiting our focus to just an object. And then we we want then we cling to that memory of finding peace, and when we can't get it, we lose faith. We we feel we can't meditate. The, the Buddhism isn't working for me, and we create a whole scenario of of self views about the the wall that's blocking the way, or about ourselves as not ready, not uh, good enough. We're not good good enough meditators. We don't have enough samadhi. We create all kinds of, of other words or criticisms of ourself or the system or the teacher or Buddhism itself. And so like awareness, when we talk about conscious awareness, is always here and now and, and th- this is our refuge not some idea of samadhi or memory of some very peaceful moments of the in the past but we began to realize that our true nature isn't a form, isn't a condition. So we call it the deathless Dhamma, Amata Dhamma, Nibbana. You can call it heaven or the highest superlatives in the English language or any other language. But it doesn't but it doesn't need description because it is the reality that we began to realize through investigation, not through belief, not through just believing in it. So one of the funny metaphors Lung Po Cha used to use when monks or nuns would get to this stage where they lose faith and you say you're looking for a turtle with a mustache <laughs> and I remember one time when I was a young monk that uh, when I first heard this I was translating to a group of Americans and I thought my understanding this properly <laughs> <laughs> but a turtle with a mustache is impossible to find, isn't it? So, so, <laughs> so it's a very appropriate metaphor for looking for something that is impossible to find: yourself, separate self. Uh, in a state of permanent happiness, or or high, or samadhi. Uh, com- uh, so the word itself just means concentration. So we concentrate when we read books, when we're cooking or driving, it's a quite ordinary experience. In order to read the newspaper, you have to concentrate on the words. So is, is, this, uh, is this this ordinary samadhi? We we're, you know, live in a society where we, ha- we learn to concentrate from an early age, going to school and so forth, and, and our culture and situation enforces this kind of uh, endeavor. And then we read Sama-samadhi, as in the Eightfold Path, is uh, like the best kind of samadhi. But is it? Is it it about the best? Or what is Sama-samadhi in the reality of our daily life? And so we begin to drop the... As we investigate Sankara's conditions, phenomena, as it arises and ceases, what is it that's aware of the presence and absence of just a thought itself, just samadhi itself? You can't sustain the word. You know, you can repeat it over and over, but it's always has a beginning and an end. And it's as simple as that, this awareness is what we, we begin to trust of just the simple things of daily life, ordinary daily life experiences. We begin to see that Samadhi is not something high up, but something here and now. It's here and now. And it, and this is what we began to realize, that it's not personal. It's not about Ajahn sameto or somebody else. It's available here and now. So then we ask, well, what is available here and now? And we have to, because can, what is apparent here and now at this moment, just through seeing, is like this. So I'm sitting here and you're sitting there and and it's apparent here and now, but that's not uh, samadhi, that's just recognition of, of sensory experience, experience through the senses. But when we step back from interpreting the present situation into being the awareness here and now as the conditions change because we aren't going to stay here forever. When the time comes, we get up and leave. The conditions that we're aware of through, through our eyes, through vision, are changing all the time. So we like to go to movies and see things that are constantly changing. Imagine a movie that just was one condition for an hour, and we'd get bored. <laughs> I remember, maybe Ajahn Jantel remembers remembers, Amravati years ago, I, there was this video film of this white man in a white overall outfit, painting a white fence with white paint. (laughs) Do you remember that? (laughs) And it was the most boring movie. (laughs) There was no contrast of color, just the, everything white and pale and and, uh, and and it lasted, I think, half an hour and 40 minutes. But it was a way of exploring that, of how, uh, you know, white is a very neutral. It's not even considered a color. So it doesn't excite like red or uh, blue or yellow do. But the... You know, at least there's some kind of color there that we can appreciate, but everything just white, white man, white overalls, white paint. (laughs) And just the same, he's just painting, you know, an ordinary fence that was already white. (laughs) So this is <clears throat> but the important thing of showing this film was for the monks and nuns at Amaravati at that time to reflect on it, on how boredom arises, feeling bored when there's no nothing, no movement, no contrast. And when we're bored then we restless, we can't concentrate. So holding on to memories of previous experiences of samadhi, one point in samadhi, after a while, you know, it doesn't work anymore. But the important, the uniqueness of Buddha Dhamma is not in concentration, but in wisdom. So vipassana is using the wisdom faculty to investigate experience as we experience it. So these forms, these bodies, are all, they're always experiencing something. So experience is is what we we identify with. Good, we have good experiences or bad experiences, boring experiences. But good and bad and boring are words that we tend to habitually use for describing experience. But when we begin to open our conscious awareness to words themselves, they arise and cease. You know, you can You can use a mantra, but after a while mantras don't work. We want to, we get upset, we get, life is difficult and we're in a state of stress, so we chant mantras, which helps to change the experience from obsessive thinking about the unpleasantness of one's life into a repetition of words. But when the, when we chant mantras and it ends, then without wisdom we don't, we go back into the same habit, reactions to experience through the senses. So mantras are fine. Concentration on an object one point of concentration is 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 skillful action you know and we see it in terms of my practice and we we begin to hope to get some tranquil state some bliss out of it and uh, and when we don't then we lose uh faith in it or faith in ourselves we become cynical or embittered and look for something else. And so all this is experience. Losing faith is is like this. When we lose faith, you know, then if we're con- con- using a conscious awareness, we're, we're looking at losing faith, the faith that we had before, in, Buddhist teaching is gone, and we find everything boring. We've heard it so much, so often this, that we we lose interest in it. And then we you know we with Vipassana, we can explore losing interest, loss of faith, boredom, because these are experiences that we tend to identify with that we you know, we don't want. We don't we want to have faith in a teacher, faith in a religion, faith in a political system, faith in democracy, faith in in another person, trust and faith and and that are desirable words where, you know, you feel safe if you have loyal friends and and kind of certain certainties in your life that you don't have uh, when you lose those friends or the conditions change that don't seem stable. But whether the conditions change or are unstable or they last a long time, whether they're pleasant or good or virtuous or bad, all conditions are impermanent. And then we, just by reminding yourself of of that simple phrase, all conditions are impermanent, you begin to stop resisting experience, but observing it. And that which observes experience is samasamadhi. So it's a way of realizing that You know, in in Buddhism and Hinduism, they oftentimes see the world as illusory, as an illusion. Where, you know, that sense that the world is an illusion is something, not a perception in our Western world. We tend to see it as our reality. The changing world of our body and senses is our reality, the real world. So I remember some people. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman I know in England was very devout Buddhist, and, and she said, "Don't tell me the world is an illusion. It's very real for me." <laughs> 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 <And> so, <laughs> I, that, you know, that suggestion didn't work for her. So, because <laughs> conditions make it seem a reality our grasping of the condition realm as what we are. The limitations we find we have as forms, physical limitations, whether we're male or female, whether we're sickly or healthy, young or old, black or white, whatever religion, whatever belief, these are conditions that we tend to Experience. We use these conditions and experience life through them. Our life is bound to to a viewpoint, a perception that we tend to interpret the rest of our experience through. So then, there's enough suffering. The first noble truth: there is suffering because it's being a man. Is that? identifying with masculinity is that bring happiness or concentration or is it just habit because the body is is what we label a male body or a woman, is just being a woman is that the key to happiness being reborn again as a woman is that going to be our ultimate goal in life you know but then the this idea that being a woman or being a man is a fixed identity, our reality, our real world. <clears throat> but what is aware of masculinity and femininity? That awareness, conscious awareness, isn't masculine or feminine. The bodies, the forms that we identify with, we can label female or male, and that's what we, you know, we're conditioned to do, to believe in. So it's interesting at this time of the, the uh, liberation, sexual liberation, where there's a lot of uh, mass media news about trans people and so then they have strong views because we have a man is a man if he has a male organs and a woman is a woman if he has a male organs. that's one way of looking at it those are words that we you know make sense on one level about the bodies but if does does that emotionally mean that we are men you know, this is, a, this is a, an investigation. Is our ultimate reality being male or female? And emotionally, you know, we're very different. Changes all the time. And our identity, our feelings aren't always in alignment with the material conditions we're experiencing. So, those who have very conservative concepts and we've got to you know stop this delusion because we we want everything to have the certainty of men are like this, women are like this, because that gives a certain sense of continuity and stability, but it's also lacking in wisdom because we're also very feeling conditions. Do I have the right to tell any of you how you should feel right now? You know, I can correct your posture or things like (laughs) that. But but whatever you're feeling emotionally or mentally at this time, you know, I tell you, you should feel the way I'm feeling right now. You know, that's really conceited. You've become a tyrant. <laughs> well, these are ways of investigating, you know. Are male emotions, you know, are they regular? And being a man is, emotionally, we're all the same. Being a woman, we're all having the same emotions. And you know that's impossible, living in a Sangha of monks, you know. (laughs) They have different feelings, different emotions. that aren't always, you know, aren't what, what I'm feeling maybe at this present moment. So, Samasamadhi is apparent here and now, timeless. So it's not high up, it's not something remote to get in the future. Because the future is an imagination. Right now, when we think of tomorrow, that's, we imagine that, that's a word. And we, we probably have plans for what we're going to do tomorrow, that we imagine in the present, as we're sitting here, we have diaries and and ways of keeping track and making plans for the future, but that's always done in the present moment. There really never is a future in real ultimate reality. Reality is always here and now. And what we experience here and now is the changingness of the sense world that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel. Our senses are changing. So their eyes and ears, sense of smell, taste, touch, and that changes according to so many other conditions that we're out of, we can't control. But what is constant and stable is awareness itself, aware of change. And through this uh, awareness of change, we lose our habitual clinging habits to the conventions that we identify with. So this is in the second noble truth of letting go. Letting go of the habits, not getting rid of them. We can still operate in the society that we live in, but it's no longer our reality. And so we keep seeing everything, the continuous change, whether it's for the better or for the worse as the way things are the the uh, experience of being born in a physical form being old is like this when vision starts deteriorating it's like this so you know rather than seeing it in a personal way we talk about it you know my vision is is uh, declining I, I still use those words but you know in terms of wise reflection declining vision is like this and I abide in the awareness which is a letting go of the not wanting it to be like this You know, I want to have a perfect vision for the rest of my life as a person. But that is a creation, it's not possible, it's a wish. And if I cling to that desire, then I resist, uh, you know, resent the way things are changing when they're not changing the way I want them to. So, who is aware of change? What is it that's aware? Is it a person? Is it a man or a woman? Is it a Buddhist? Or is it the natural, ultimate reality that's available here and now that we begin to abide in? So, in the morning, evening chanting, I make constant reference to Santidiko akaliko, ehiprasiko, opanaiko budgetang, waitidapo when we when we chant the refuges and the dhamma is santitiko, meaning apparent here and now, and then the investigation is what is apparent here and now, whatever happening is the consciousness. You know, you're conscious. Everybody here knows they're experiencing consciousness here and now. And what is it that's aware? Is it a person? Is it a man or woman? A monk or a layperson? Or is it just nature itself, Dhamma itself, our refuge in Dhamma, apparent here and now, timeless. Timelessness, you can't imagine. You think of e- eternity as one word, but then we think of eternity as endless time, time that never ends. But in poetic language, we can say eternity here and now, timeless. Ehipasiko, and, and this, this condition of ehipasiko dhamma is come and see. So it's a, you know, it's a kind of invitation. Wake up and have a find-out-for-yourself experience open naya is looking inward. You're no longer seeking objects for distraction or just caught in the momentum of habits, daily habits that we tend to promote in our daily lives, but we start instead of looking outward for distracting conditions or something to do or even to meditate, we began to look inward at that very Desire to distract ourselves. So some people <clears throat> lose the desire to meditate because they find it boring, or some people feel obsessive about I've got to meditate. You know. I've, my meditation, I've got to have more time for my meditation and I've got to have so many hours a day practicing samadhi and we form all kinds of views about getting concentrated about samadhi, about us dedicated to the practice of meditation, which are all conditions that we create and bind ourselves to. So this is, you know, to, to reflect on this yourself. A, a wisdom, then, is allowing awareness to be your refuge. So when you, whether you think you're wise or not, that's not the point. You know, whether you can think, you know, I'm not very wise, or I'm whatever you, how you perceive yourself in daily life is, is uh, you know, is uh, conditioned by programming, cultural conditioning, by thinking, by believing without understanding with wisdom where wisdom is dhamma, natural, so it's all available here and now, parent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards, to be realized individually through wisdom. So in, a, in this tradition, because it is a wisdom teaching, it's not a doctrinal religious teaching, you know the Four Noble Truths is, is a, a way of investigating the experiences that we individually have through our lifetime. And we begin to realize we're not what we're thinking, we're not a physical form. This sense of anatta, no self, becomes increasingly more real for us. And the, all the old habits of identification with conditions, with the phenomena, we tend to lose that. Because we're letting go, we see the futility and the causes of suffering by this clinging, habitual, incessant clinging to forms that are in constant change and have no ultimate reality in themselves. So letting go, non-resisting, just observing the flow of conditioned phenomena we begin to realize our true nature, the deathless Dhamma. Then where can fear arise in the deathless Dhamma? Where can boredom arise? Where can anger arise? It comes and goes through the forms, but our abidance, what we rest in is awareness of the changing conditions, rather than being the critic of them, or the owner of them. So I found this, in my experience, in this tradition. You know, one that, you know, really feel incredible gratitude that the Buddha did establish a teaching that is still workable in modern day life in the United States. It's not just about Asian religion or becoming a Buddhist, but it's, it's waking up to the way things really are. And ultimate reality is your true nature, it's not something Separate or distant, or that you have to get and find, but waking up to. So the word Buddha is awakened one. It's like just a, and not a command, but a sense of wake up. You know, it's a. The word Buddha itself means awakened. To the way things are. And then the Four Noble Truths. This particular teaching, his first sermon, after his uh, his enlightenment, was pointing to a way to wake up to suffering and the causes of it and the end of it. So, who is aware? What is it that's aware, even of misery, of boredom, or or wonder, or happiness. That awareness, we begin to trust that. Conscious awareness through life as we experience it according to the forms that that we're, we're no longer identifying with. No longer seeking our refuge in ideals of perfection, that are inevitably going to disappoint us. So I offer this as a reflection